Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, a body neutrality podcast where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I am your host, Justin Neeland, and today I have with me Jason Gaddis, who is a relationship coach, keynote speaker, dad, founder of the Relationship School, and co-host of the Relationship School podcast with his wife, Ellen Bader, and author of the book, Getting to Zero, How to Work Through Conflicts in Your High-Stakes Relationships. I have admired Jason's work for a while now, and I think a lot of his insights as a relation coach, relationship coach, especially for men, will be really interesting and relevant for my listeners, which tend to be mostly women, femmes, and folks assigned to female at birth. So I'm really excited to have him on here to talk about healthy and secure partnerships, particularly between men and women. So welcome, Jason. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have you start just a little bit with the basics and uh, tell me about yourself and the work that you do. Yeah. So I run the relationship school and we're on a mission to educate humans about how to do this thing called relationship better. And we focus a lot on the intimate partnership because that's the hardest relationship to do well over time. It's the easiest when you are falling in love, but after that, it's usually pretty hard. So we want to give people practical tools so that they can be successful and be fulfilled. I love that. So I will just give a little disclaimer here for my audience. If you are queer or trans or asexual or any of the things, some of this won't land with you. We are looking at it through a pretty heteronormative lens because that's what, I mean, that is a lot statistically of relationships out there. It's also a lot of what Jason focuses on. Jason, I am curious, do you work with queer people in a in the in this school, I do. yeah, yeah, totally. And, and a lot of queer folks come to study with me uh, because I think they resonate with my no bullshit approach. Um, and I, I think I use you know fairly inclusive language, but people yeah. get like I'm a married heterosexual dude and yeah. I've got two cisgendered kids and whatever. Like I'm, just yeah, a, yeah. So that's my world. Understood. Um, so I wanted to start with just asking your your basic understanding of masculinity, because I see a lot of your content being um, sort of in the space of like for men to form a healthier, more sort of open hearted or sensitive relationship with masculinity as opposed to some of the toxic patterns. So I'm just curious, like, what is your personal or uh, coach approach to masculinity as a concept? Yeah. Well, that's, first of all, it's so interesting that that's how you perceive me and my business because we mostly are talking to women. Oh, funny. Because women tend to lead the conversations um, Mm. around having a better relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that you see that because I am obviously trying to help more guys get their shit together relationally. (laughs) Um, So masculinity to me is, is it's kind of, it's a construct, right? And it's, it's um, kind of a slippery slope uh, to define. Um, but if we, so if we kind of have a gendered conversation for a minute, mm-hmm. we see man and masculinity as, or masculine energy, for example, as different. Um, but if we want to stick to just masculinity, um, it, and we adhere a male gender to that term, to me, it's, it's like, um, if we, if we say that toxic masculinity is, as a, is essentially a disconnected male. He's disconnected from his body. He's disconnected from his heart. He's in his head. He's dissociated. He doesn't even know this. And he's walking around the world hurting people and hurting himself and, and participating because of his conditioning in, in not so healthy or effective ways of being in the world. 
um, if we get that guy in enough pain, he'll get on the personal growth path and start to look at himself in the mirror and evaluate, wait a minute, I, I've been conditioned to not feel, to not be relational, to put myself first, to win and compete over other men, to participate in misogynistic sort of ways of being. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. That's not helping me get what I want in my relational life. It's not getting me the life partner. It's not, I don't feel fulfilled. I feel actually depressed and anxious. I feel angry. Um, so guys are kind of in a maze and in a trap around their conditioning, their gender conditioning. So breaking free from that allows a guy to be genuinely who he is, yeah. which could be actually a queer man, or it could be just, um, a really feminine guy, or it could be just yeah. a dude that's very masculine, but he's just a, an amazing human being. Um, so guys have a journey to make when it comes to sort of becoming a more conscious male in our world. And he, he's up against mainly society's conditioning, his dad's conditioning, and just, it's a straitjacket, really. It's hard to yeah. get out of it. So obviously the way you just put it is if he gets in enough pain, he's likely to start noticing the role of the conditioning and maybe that it's not working and move in another direction. Do you see that as the only way? Is there like a, <laughs> a version of this that happens right. without sort of hitting rock bottom first? Yeah, there's two two ways really. And it's sadly, it's I don't see many more options in all my years of experience and it's pain or it's longing, which is a desire mm -hmm to have a different life, to have a more empowered life or to have a more awesome partnership. And maybe it's not yeah. pain driving, but it's more of a desire. Mm, okay. Um, so one of the things I really wanted to have you on here to sort of pick your brain about is that a lot of women who partner with men struggle with men's lack of emotional intelligence or empathy, uh, willingness to be vulnerable, willingness or skill at communicating sort of on that deeper level. And obviously this comes from a lot of our gender conditioning and the differences in what's expected of us and the skills we build over a lifetime. I certainly don't see it as malicious most of the time, but it is very frustrating. Yeah. Um, and it's very easy to kind of write men off or just be like angry or see them as, I don't know, lazy or dum-dums. So I would love to hear you talk about like how this experience hurts men themselves, like how this... Yeah sort of divide in these really important emotional skills actually is harming men. Yeah. Well, let's use me as an example. Um, I grew up with a dad who, you know, couldn't tolerate any of my sensitivity or my feelings. So I got trained from a very young age to stuff my feelings, to act tough, to be an athlete and compete and perform. And the peer culture that I found was also reinforcing that. And we would put each other down by, you know, through misogynistic homophobic comments so that we could stay in our lane, which is like, right. you better not be sensitive. You better not feel, you better not um, be emotional here, yeah. get your shit in line. And that was the, that's still sadly a lot of conditioning, especially in like sports culture for boys. Um, you know, if you're an artistic kid, like I was, or a theater kid or a, you know, a kid that loves animals or cries easily, you know, it, it's like you got, you got a steeper path. Mm -hmm. And so that over time created a really hard, hardened heart and a big wall around me. Yeah. And so I became 
an intimate in intimate relationships, women would only get so close to me and I would then push them away and usually make them wrong. I would find fault with them as a way to protect myself. And I didn't know actually that I was ashamed and scared on the inside. Yeah. I had it that the problem was out there, right? And so finally at age 29, I was breaking up with another awesome woman and I finally realized I was the common denominator in all my relationship problems. And that's when I got on the path, right? That was a lot yeah. of pain for me. And guys, I think they live um, live in a lot of quiet isolation and trying to get things from the outside to make them feel good or whether it's get the girl or use porn or play sports or make a lot of money or, you know, whatever the thing is, whatever the game is to try to um, get at the pain or lack of fulfillment they feel inside. And it's often a low grade kind of depression, anxiety, and they're that chronic kind of tolerating that, that shit. And, and then in our culture, we have a lot of medication that we can put on top of that pain to not feel it like mm -hmm. porn, like sugar, like you name it, uh, movies, entertainment, video games, just addiction to our phones yeah. that allow us to not, unfortunately not feel. Um, yeah. and so this chronic lack of feeling creates huge problems for a guy. And, um, I don't think men get that until later in life. They don't, they don't start to feel how awful and painful it is till later. So, and I'm speaking general, right? There, sure, I think yeah, more of course. and more men, I just want to make the disclaimer that in my experience, more and more men are getting on the personal growth path and becoming more emotionally literate. Um, thanks to men's work and all the men's organizations out there yeah. are really trying to, you know, raise boys differently. And the parents, especially moms who are trying to keep their kids sensitive nature intact, despite the dad's training or whatever. Mm. So I think it, I think it's slowly we're, we're changing a yeah, little bit. I see that too. Um, so what I think is funny is like <laughs> one of the things that I do is I help women solve a problem that they often don't know they have, which makes for a rather frustrating business model because when you believe the problem is the way you look, right. you're not searching for what's underneath that, right? Yeah. I hear that exactly. the same thing is happening for you and it makes yeah. sense that you would end up kind of gearing your work toward the female partners perhaps who are going to invite these conversations if he's not even aware that there is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well said there. There's, um, that's why years ago I, I, tr I started a men's organization actually in my early thirties and it kind of failed because I kept trying to target guys, but like you, they, I was, they didn't even know they had a problem type right. of thing. So I started working with couples and the cool thing was, is the woman would, in a you know, very uh, homogenous or a uh, heteronormative relationship, the woman would drag the guy in, mm -hmm. but I knew I had a shot if he got into my office, cause I have a way of speaking to men that isn't threatening, that's challenging and confronting, but not shaming. And, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, a lot of men would listen and start to then for some reason, me like being like, bro, you got to step up here. All of a sudden he's more open to his wife's feedback. Um, so it's, it's a cool way. To, it's a, it's another kind of, um, sideways way to get it yeah. guys, I guess. <laughs> I love that so much. And it feels very dark to me that there's like this icky sexist thing happening that like their wives have probably been telling them, Hey, you got to open up and step up. And he's like, seems unlikely. And then here you are like a, a sort of conventionally masculine enough guy who can kind of be on that level yeah. or be a role model. And all of a sudden it makes sense and clicks. 
like of course it's so important that you do that and oh why does it have to be like that i know i i it's it's shitty uh my wife and i talk about this a lot just the how subtle the misogyny is um even to like not like taylor swift right now for teenage boys is like the cool thing and i'm like dude taylor swift is the shit she's so incredible i think um but you know it's it's like oh let's all put down the successful woman right just to like belong with each other and have the same opinion i'm just like it's so pathetic you know yeah so how do you get a man to want to do this work if that's who's coming into your office someone who doesn't he hasn't yet named ah this is work i want to do how do you get someone to want to bother i mean it's a lot of freaking work to learn how to be vulnerable and improve your emotional intelligence and all all of those things how do you yeah. cultivate the drive or desire for it yeah well a, a good starting question for anyone listening that's in a relationship with a man who is a little frustrated you can ask this question i think it's a really important question um which is, do we want the same type of relationship? Mm. And then you can articulate as a woman the kind of relationship you want, which is, mm. hey, I want to work through conflict. I want to um, be able to share my emotions with you and have you not try to fix me or make me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, are you willing to do that? Like, that's the kind of relationship I want. And one where you feel not judged or criticized, but really accepted and loved yeah. for who you are and and I also want to grow together so that if we get in a snag, we go to a coach or a therapist to get help. If we can't figure it out on our own, yeah. that's the kind of relationship I want. And, you know, clearly articulate that. What kind of relationship do you want? And, you know, some guys, if they're honest, they're going to say, I don't want that. I just want it to be easy. Right. And then it's like, oh, we don't want the same things. And that's that's very liberating because then you can move on uh-huh. from a guy Ooh, like that. Oh, yeah. Right. Because I don't recommend trying to change a man, I do recommend you can inspire him by being yourself, being your courageous self and continuing to, or, or beginning to not tolerate yeah. his bullshit. Meaning after conflict, for example, if you guys get in a snag of some kind and he shuts down and gets quiet and then days go by and there's no conversation about it and you're like tiptoeing around and walking on eggshells, trying not to make him make it worse. That's not the kind of relationship you want to be in. Um, you want to be in the kind of relationship where you're upset, he's not coming back, and you say, hey, just so you know, this doesn't work for me. This is like not the kind of relationship I want to be in where you just disappear, and then you you think three days later and a glass of wine and a Netflix are going to make things better. No. Like, I want to talk about it. Um, I got my feelings hurt. You've done nothing to make that right. I might have hurt your feelings. You've said nothing. Like, we're not repairing this. And that's not okay with me. And I'm 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 standing for the kind of relationship where we repair after conflict always. Mm. And if you're down to learn, you probably don't know how. I, I don't. I'm not very good at it either. But that's the kind of relationship I want. Yeah. You know, and and that and that that can call a certain kind of man forward. Like, holy shit! Yeah. Okay, wow! I got to rise to the occasion here. And a, a man who's like annoyed at your drama and a call it calling it drama and rolling his eyes and shit. It's like, move on. Uh-huh. Ooh, that's so threatening because I feel like if you didn't ask that early and you ended up in a relationship that is the other way to start asking it years in is terrifying for people. It's terrifying. And I think yeah. that's on the person that chose to be with this person Sure. and didn't really think through 
the most important thing. Like I always tell people, never, ever get married unless you're willing to do three things. First thing is um, learn about yourself and each other, um, meaning have a growth mindset, right? Number two, embrace conflict because it's just going to be with you the rest of your life with yeah. uh, an intimate partner and learn how to work through it. Number three, make sure you have um, enough shared values that you actually, they're in a Venn diagram, there's overlapping values that you have together, whether it's yeah. travel or uh, making money or raising kids a certain way. You know, there's got to be those three things because people are pretty clueless when they get married and they, yeah. they're just going into it totally naive and then they get their ass handed to them later. Totally. So something that I see a lot is there is a sort of fantastical, um, imaginary world in which if she was hot enough, there would never be conflict. If she yeah. was perfect enough, they would never have issues. He would just be sort of motivated to do everything she wanted and meet all of her needs. And so that becomes a big insecurity of hers. Like, if I'm not getting what I want out of this relationship, that that's a me problem. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm hearing you basically, I mean, I, obviously this doesn't have gender. Everybody has their own fantasies about what will kind of help them avoid the hard parts. Yeah. Um, but what I love about your work is like, nobody avoids the hard parts. So let's talk yeah. about the hard parts. Let's talk about the hard parts and let's, uh, and the body stuff is, is all bullshit. Like look, <laughs> when we're in our hearts and we're really connected to our heart and ourselves, um, almost everybody's attractive, like can be a beautiful oh. human being when we're in our hearts, when we're not, and we're constantly evaluating and judging, it's, we can find everybody unattractive. Dude, that is going to blow people's minds. I am actually going to skip ahead because I had a question for you about this specifically. Yeah. Um, so I am wondering what your stance is on the role of physical attraction when it comes to choosing and committing to a long-term partner and, you know, basically falling in love with someone, staying in love with someone, staying committed. Because I definitely think that women are taught that the key to being chosen is to be sort of a good enough sexual object that he wants mm -hmm. her a lot. And that you then just kind of have to like center him, make him happy or meet sort of his expectations. And that's right. what will keep him around, uh, which I don't agree with at all, but certainly is a very present idea in our culture. So how do you imagine or see, how do you understand the role of physical attractiveness in long-term partnership? Yeah. Well, look, I, I do think there's got to be a base level of attraction because we want to make love to the person. We want to be intimate. We want to share physical or sensual beings. And I, I do feel like there's a there's a biological imperative in us to touch and feel and connect uh, physically. So in order to do that, we do need to feel some level of chemistry slash attraction toward sure. our person. Um, so that's kind of the baseline that's in our biology. And then there's on top of that, there's all this conditioning, like you said about um, you got to look like a supermodel for some reason as a woman uh, to be of value. And that's mm -hmm. just so sad. Um and I, again, I'm, that's not the business I'm in. Obviously I'm in the business of the way you get what you want in a relationship is by being deeply who you are and true to yourself and connected to yourself and your, and understanding and knowing 
from the inside out your your inherent value and your worth. That alone, women who can stand in that, no matter what looks like physically on the outside, are beautiful human beings. And that's very attractive to uh, people, especially people who are connected to themselves. Right. And that's a big difference too. I often do say like, if that's if that's your primary focus, the people you draw into your life are unlikely to be the ones who are also going to be at a level of meeting those deeper needs because they're the ones going, damn, you're hot. I guess I won't cheat on you then, right? Like those yeah. exist. So mm -hmm. by focusing on that as the strategy, you, you a lot more likely to kind of see it, gather evidence that it's true. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I do think um, that, you know, for better or worse, we do give power in this culture to people who look a certain way, men and women, right? Mm -hmm. We just automatically give them more power yeah. and status. And, you know, so there, we're working with all that, but I still think you're going to be more fulfilled at the end of the day, if you're being um, who you are authentically, and you really like how you are and who you are, and you get out of all the yeah. bullshit subordination and comparison to how you mm -hmm. should be. And cause that's all just a shame cycle. Yeah, It's get right with you and I think you can have a very fulfilling life and attract, yeah. you know, a person into your life. I love that. So if we go back for a second, let's imagine here that we've got a woman who's been learning vulnerability, communication, emotional intelligence for decades. She's got a partner who's just started like a year ago. Mm -hmm. How do you understand the like how do you navigate that in her position without being uh, super critical or, you know, I mean, he's not going to be at the same level. Mm -hmm. How do you be supportive without being critical or kind of make it an effective conversation without being, you know, resentful that he's not further along? Because I do think that is a really common situation for uh, yeah adults at this point is he had to have just started pretty recently and she probably started a long time ago. Yeah. Well, I, I, this is a common dynamic and I always say, watch your self-righteousness. If you are this woman who's thinking I, I'm so much farther along, mm -hmm. because if you, if we really look at your lives, like attracts, like usually we're not drawn to someone who we're so much farther along and they're like way behind. We don't find because I think we find on partners more unconsciously than consciously. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the mammalian unconscious that we find each other. Yeah. Um, we find who we need to grow with. So if you can get the attention off trying to change him and instead like one way to look at it is, okay, I do feel farther along in terms of emotional maturity or emotional intelligence that let's say that's a fact. Where is he farther along than you? Right. Maybe it's fitness, maybe it's financial maturity, maybe it's um, social networking, like whatever his, yeah. like he's obviously very competent in some other area. So that's, again, that can level the playing field. So mm -hmm. it's one's not better than the other. And for a relationship to be successful, obviously we want the man to develop his emotional chops, right? And so we can, again, invite him into that saying, Hey, I have these feelings over here. 
as a woman and I do want to be seen in them and known in them. And I don't, I don't always just want to go to my girlfriends or my therapist to feel like seen. I want to feel seen by you. And in order for that to occur, you've got to, you've got to, you know, lift some emotional muscles over there uh, because your conditioning has really robbed you of that. So, so that takes him out of like, he's, there's something wrong with him. It's just like, look, dude, you got conditioned and whether you think so or not, you're, you're like emotionally kind of stunted here uh, because it's not okay for men and boys still to feel. Would you be willing to start learning how to feel and feel with me and um, so that you can know me in my emotional spots? You know, again, we we invite a person in because what ends up happening often, too often, is the self-righteous woman kind of is looking down on the dumb, emotionally Absolutely. stunted man and then he just feels judged and criticized and shuts down further. So it actually makes it worse usually. Yep. So it's got to be approached with a sense of humility and also like, I'm not better than him. I might be a little farther along with emotional maturity, but he's farther along with some other area where equals like attracts like, and how are we going to do this together? God, it seems so simple, but that is absolutely brilliant just to even acknowledge, uh, how easy it is to be on a self-righteous uh, platform with this and how that immediately is going to put him on the defensive and it's going to get yeah. nobody further yeah. in what they want. Um, just acknowledging this isn't, you didn't do this. There's nothing wrong with you. You just learned what we all learned and this is how it's impacting you. And here's what I would love. Um, yeah. yeah. That's so, so powerful. Yeah. I also want to say like, okay, so I identify as non-binary and queer, but I definitely, most of my experiences were in pretty heteronormative relationships with men. And I developed a sense of my own like self-worth in comparison to emotionally immature men. I thought I was like the most emotionally Mm. intelligent person on the planet by comparison because no one ever met me there to find out where my own limitations were. Uh It was easy. Then I met my fiance and holy crap, was it humbling, we'll say, like incredibly challenging to be invited into a deeper level and realize that I was now the one who was keeping us from going there. Yeah. Because I always just imagined like you silly dum-dums who can't even meet me where I'm good. <laughs> like that self-righteous thing, it's so tempting when you've had enough experiences that yeah. all kind of feel the same. Yeah. Well, the the other thing that um, is going on, I, I'm not saying it went on with you, but a lot of people, the 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 more emotionally sort of mature person, male or female, in in a partnership, judging and looking down on the other person, they're saying, "Oh, my partner's not really emotionally available. What's wrong with them?" Uh, and the claim is, "I want a deep, emotional, secure, badass partnership." That's the claim. Right. But if you really wanted that, you wouldn't be with someone like that. Them. Sure. So you're actually scared of being met and you're hiding out and you're not actually wanting what you claim you want, or you would have moved on already. So I think it's important that people need to look in the mirror again. God, that's so true. It's so true. And I would also add to that, that there is definitely, I think, a feeling of scarcity. So like for me, definitely that was going on. Um, that I was able to hide out in a space where being righteous was probably on some subconscious level more important to me than getting my actual intimacy needs met. Uh, And 
and it's been it's been really challenging. There's been so much growth work that's had to happen. It's terrifying, honestly, um, with my current partner. But I also think a lot of women feel that sort of scarcity that like there aren't men out there who could ever meet them. Right. That like that just doesn't exist. Right. With the eight billion people on the planet, it just doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> I'm like, they do. I mean, it might be a smaller <laughs> pool, but they are there. They're um, there. And again, more and more dudes are, are getting on the path here. And I yeah. was coaching a woman a while back and she was like basically saying what you're saying. Yeah, there's no men. There's this yeah. big scarcity complex. And I was like, well, where? she's like, you know, I can't find any good men in this town. I was like, well, where do you live? And she basically said some podunk town in Wyoming, you know, with a thousand people or whatever. It's like, well, what do you expect? Like you're, you, right. ch you chose to live, you're choosing to live in a very tiny pool of men who are all kind of rancher types. If you really want this uh, type of relationship, you're probably going to need to move. Are you willing to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the context for sure, politically location, uh, there, yeah, there's a lot of context for those kinds of things that will impact what you're seeing as evidence. And I just think when you don't believe you're worthy of it, like when that stuff is going on, you're also you're you're not going to be doing the outreach to find it. So I yeah. also feel like there's so much of that yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, it's like a mindset thing. I, I agree with you that that I can get into, and all of us do this, and whether it's about relationships or money or something, is we can get into these scarcity loops. And and then that's all we see is yeah. not enough or there's no one out there. And then we just yeah. keep telling ourselves that, and that's the reality we start to create for ourselves. Yeah. So. For sure. it, 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 I think um, to deeply believe in yourself and believe that my partner's out there for me, I, I do think that matters, you know, your yeah. mindset. So I want to ask kind of the same question here around domestic labor and caretaking tasks yeah. um, in the home. So I'm wondering if that's something that you address as well as the emotional labor of vulnerability and all that. Yeah. Do you address stuff like totally. inequitable divisions of domestic labor? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like? And I'm married with uh, to a woman with, and we have two kids. And so that, yeah, that's uh, and we work with obviously people who this is the thing. This is yeah. a thing. Yeah. Who's pulling more weight at home, et cetera. So what's your approach to the conversation generally? Like how do you understand the question or the demands or the frustration or whatever and, and work with it? Well, every couple has to find what, what is the sweet spot of division of labor or um, who's doing more with the kids or at home, cleaning the house, et cetera, responsibilities, yeah. paying bills. And every couple has to find what works for them. And it could be that the, it could be very traditional that the dude is working and the woman's at home raising the kids and she does everything and he doesn't lift a finger like my parents, for example, mm. in that generation. And that, that worked for them. Mm-hmm. Like there might've been a mild resentment on my mom's part, but they're still married and it, it, they've made it work. They figured it out yeah. um, without it turning into a big scorekeeping exercise. And so I think some couples can have what looks like a very unequal, imbalanced situation at home. But if they're both choosing that and okay with that, who cares? Like yeah, if it works sure. for them, right? Um and my wife and I uh, have our our dynamic that works really well for us. And the moment it doesn't work for one of us, we speak up mm -hmm. and it's an opportunity to get closer, have a conversation. It might turn into a fight yeah. or a disagreement and we have the tools to work through that and we do. And then it's yeah. like, okay, we, we need to 
um, adjust a few things here. And for example, it happens sometimes where she'll feel like she's just overwhelmed. It's, and it's, she's not judging me as like, you need to do more around the house or with the kids or something. But, uh, a win-win is she's like, could you pick up the kids? You know, I take them to school every day, but I don't pick them up. She picks them up because pickup interrupts some of my afternoon. Uh, but she's like, could, would you be willing to do Thursdays? And I was like, sure. You know, it just wasn't a thing. Right. And I have to let go of a couple hours on my Thursday afternoon, but I, dude, it's my kids. I want to be with yeah. my kids. So. So you have this toolkit already. You have awareness, yeah. you have a conceptual understanding of what is happening. And for a lot of guys, I think it's invisible. So what I see a lot of is a woman being like, he's not doing enough. And when I bring that up, he tells me he shouldn't have to do more because it's yeah. truly invisible labor because he's never either had it modeled equitably or just mm -hmm. it just never sort of came into his sphere of understanding. There's a lot yeah. of stuff like, well, you're just so good at these things. Like you should do it because you're just good at them. And, and she wants more equity. So how do you help someone who doesn't see it yet? Well, or, yeah, go ahead. Hopefully we choose people that are, have an open mind and are willing to see it. Um, and what matters here is not so much if I don't see it, it's that the man in that, in that example that you're describing, um, appreciates this is her experience and it's valid. She mm -hmm. feels, she feels, um, a little overwhelmed, overworked, and like she's doing more and she should be able to express that and have him go, got it. Thanks for the feedback. Okay. I didn't know that was right. occurring for you. And I'm glad you're telling me. And what do we need to do to make an adjustment? Um, I love your answer is basically just like, yeah, just trust that what she's saying is true. It seems so to simple. Totally. And, and unfortunately, people get in relationships and they choose partners, man, woman, doesn't matter, right. who are like, why are you so fucking annoyed over there? Yeah. And why do you have feelings and complaints? You should be grateful or... God, you're always bringing up this thing and making it hard. And it's just like, no, this is mm, basic yeah. shit. Right. Like I feel not considered. I feel um, misunderstood. I feel um, kind of dropped and like I'm doing a lot over here and I feel, I feel like overwhelmed and I want to just say fuck it to everything. Yeah. And that should get our partner's attention and go, damn, that right. sucks to be you. Holy shit. I didn't know I was participating <laughs> right. in having you feel that way. Oh man. Yeah. That just makes it so straightforward. I also feel like the choosing, I mean, just coming back to the choosing, like to looking for those green flags early and recognizing like what you said about making sure that you both want the same kind of relationship because there are plenty of people gender aside, who do not want equitable relationships. It's not what they're looking for. Right. Therefore, to have it brought up over and over again as a complaint is not going to land. That's right. Yeah. And, and again, I'm like, why would you, we, we've got to be able to vet these type of people out and kind of smoke yeah. out their bullshit in, in terms of stress. If, if you can, while you're dating or yeah. before you get married, you want to stress test the person many times, um, put yourselves in stressful situations like traveling together on a budget in a foreign country where you're kind of, you're stressed out. Um, yeah. 
or do something really uncomfortable and see how they act and behave and watch. And you can start to see, oh, this person's under stress. They, they point the finger. They blame everybody else. They never look in the mirror that, wow, I don't think that's going to go well for me if I marry them. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where a woman's mind has been blown because some man she had a conversation with just like held himself accountable immediately and went, oh, wow, I can see how that would have impacted you. And it's like the first time in three decades that she's ever, she was like, I didn't Uh know men could, I didn't know they were allowed to do that. I didn't know they were capable. It is mind blowing. But when you talk about it this way, it's also so, so straightforward and simple. Literally just being able to say, I believe what you're saying. Therefore, I'll look at my role in it. Yeah. And when we're, when we're in relationships, like, you know, you're not asking about this, but, um, when we're with people who gaslight us, stonewall us, deny reality, essentially, we're dealing with people with personality disorders. And those are the hardest Mm -hmm. people to be in relationships with. Um, it's very, it's almost impossible to succeed in a long-term partnership. So, you know, this is where, and labels get thrown around a lot these days, but there's true, there's real diagnoses for people who have a very early childhood injury between one and three years old, where their whole personality and structure got set up to not take any responsibility for anything. Yeah. And that's their, that's how they see the world. And that's, that's a real big problem. Yeah, totally. So Having now asked you the same question in a few different topics, I have one more around sex and intimacy, but I feel like the answer is going to be just as straightforward. Uh, Obviously, there is a trope that a lot of men learn to approach sex from a place of entitlement or selfishness or insensitivity or whatever, uh, just kind of focusing on his own desire, arousal, pleasure, whatever, Um, which means that they might initiate sex in a way that feels objectifying or bad for their partners. And it means the sex itself might not be that particularly satisfying for their partners. So how do you work with that? And what is the the approach or concept there that you you hold as okay. how to do better. Well, you're speaking to one uh, complaint that I hear a lot where man is in it for himself, objectifying woman, et cetera, expecting it on his terms. Uh, the other side of the equation that a lot of men find themselves in is they're trying to please her. They're actually trying too hard and they're mm. caught in a performance. Like if I do the right thing, she will be happy if I just turn the levers a certain way. And, um, that a lot of guys get really stuck there. Um, so I just want to point out there's, I love that. Yeah, please. Most common dynamics that I've experienced with people and they're both problematic, obviously. Um, and again, anyone with the growth mindset is like, huh, something's not working in the bedroom. What do we need to do about it? And then it becomes this amazing and very vulnerable and sometimes crunchy collaboration around, Hey, this this has gotten a little awkward and this is not feeling good to me. Yeah. And I'm not blaming you. Hey, no one's blaming anybody here. I just want us to talk about this and and can we slow it down? Can we just take a few breaths together and reset? Yeah. Um, and there's, so there's conversations and things we can do in the bedroom, like what I just suggested there outside the bedroom, we can have a plan for when things get a little awkward or they're going too fast. Like, does everybody have permission to speak up and say, uh, I don't totally love what's happening here. Can we reset? So conversations in and outside the bedroom can help with that. Um, guys obviously have their part around the both sides I spoke to, like a performative thing. Like, hey, I'm just, I dude, I'm stuck in performance because I've 
watched yeah. a lot of porn and I think it's up to me to please you a certain way. And I need to do it th uh, this narrow kind of intense way. And you're obviously, that's not working for you. So gosh, I've never done it any way, other way. I'm used mm -hmm. to just jerking off and like, I don't know what to do. And, I, and if, for a guy to just start getting in touch with his insecurity, that's really vulnerable. And it's awesome. Cause now, yeah. now you can make progress or his shame about not being able to like, please her, et cetera. So there's that side, the, the yeah. kind of objectification side is again, same kind of thing is like, wow, I, I, um, I, I'm realizing this, I'm kind of in this for me to make myself feel good. And I've kind of dropped you. I've forgotten about you and what's, what actually kind of would work for you. And it would probably be a slower on-ramp. It would probably be right. different pacing. And then the woman also, she has a part, like there's all kinds of conditioning that women need to, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just supposed to like take whatever I can get, or I'm, I'm just supposed to, even though I'm not liking it, I'm not supposed to speak up because I don't want to upset him or hurt his feelings or have him go into a shame pile or get defensive and angry. So I'll just not say anything like every partner, again, no matter the configuration we're in has a duty, a responsibility to just yeah. speak up and make this a really, you know, beautiful experience over time. But we're, a lot of us had clunky sexual experiences as young people that were either traumatic, um, violating or awkward. Yeah. And we, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah. And so there's this magic to co-explore how to do it in a good way that works for both of us. I love that you brought that up and approach it that way because I, in my work and my content, I talk a lot about the version of like her feeling frozen or people pleasing, like she can't speak up all that stuff. But I, I certainly don't think nearly as much about the performative aspect outside of the fact that I feel very aware that no one benefits when we're all following an automated script. Yeah. Like no one's body follows the porn script and is maximally satisfied. So like totally. if we're all trying to mind read and give the other person what we think they want, we're definitely not having the best possible sex. So yeah. it's a gift to your partner, even though it can feel like a burden if you've yeah. learned that your pleasure doesn't matter. It's a gift to your partner to be like, let's make it up more. Let's go off script. Let's like, yeah. you know, off road. Yeah. And let's, let's talk very intimately and vulnerably about what hasn't worked in the past, what yeah. would work better. These are, these are amazing opportunities to get to know each other better. And I, yeah, sure. It would be cool if we could just push a button and all have just great sex all the time, but it, it's not like that in a long-term relationship. Yeah. It's way more um, intimate and vulnerable and, and let's not make that a problem. Absolutely. Okay. So God, I have so many more questions for you, but I'm just going to do one more. I know that your book is all about navigating conflict in relationships. I would love to have you talk a little bit about why that topic is so important that you yeah. wrote a whole ass book about it. Yeah, totally. It's really a book about repairing conflict. So conflict is inevitable. And honestly, it's, um, when we partner with someone, it just, it's just going to be a stage and an ongoing experience we have in the relationship. And the, uh, I say stage, because if you can learn how to repair the conflict, which is the most important part of conflict and get back to a good place, what I call zero with your partner, um, you're going to actually build a, an indestructible foundation for your relationship. If repeatedly over and over when there's ruptures, there's disconnections, there's miscommunications, there's blame, and then uh, someone's feelings get hurt, all that crunchiness. If we can learn how to circle back 
an hour later, a day later, two days later, and be cool again. Like, Hey, we're good. We, we just talked about what happened. I took responsibility. You took yeah. responsibility. I empathize with you. You empathize with me. We're good. We're now building a really, really strong foundation for any storm that comes our way. But unfortunately, a lot of people get so uncomfortable and scared in conflicts that they resort to their childhood strategies, which is either to point the finger at themselves or the other person or go hide mm -hmm. or run away mm -hmm. or anxiously like try to talk it out. And the other person's just getting, it's making the whole thing worse. Like we, we just, it's like basically people are winging it yeah, and they don't, they don't know that this is actually a skill anyone can learn. So I, I wrote a book about it because I'm like, I want everybody to know how to do this because if you can learn how to repair and get back to good place, yeah. like anything is possible in your relationship life. You'll be a person at work that is like everybody goes to, to like right. conflict and miscommunications happen. You'll be a great parent. You'll be an amazing partner. So it's just, it's like such a killer skill to, to learn. I couldn't agree more. And I love that. Um, yeah. Amazing. This has been such a fascinating and just awesome conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Um, can you tell anybody who's listening, who wants to find you, uh, work with you, any of that stuff, where, where do they go on the internet to look you up? Yeah. So on social media, I'm usually at Jason Gaddis and Jason with a Y, um, YouTube, I'm trying to put out more and more demonstration videos so people can actually watch how to do this stuff better. Neat. And then relationshipschool.com is where our courses and podcast are. Amazing. And you have a book and a podcast and this stuff will all be in the show notes. So everyone, I highly recommend going and following some of this stuff. If you are interested in relationships, which I feel like is kind of a huge topic in the human experience, um, there's so, so much amazing content there and insights that we often don't come across in our day-to-day -day life. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, this has been amazing. And to everyone listening, thank you for listening. I'll catch you next week. Hey, everyone. I'm Jesse Nealand, and I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to this episode of the This Is Not About Your Body podcast. I put out new episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss it. And if you really enjoyed it, please go ahead and leave me a review. Um, also, if you're looking for more information about body neutrality or you want to work with me, you can find me at my website, jessenealing.com, or you can just purchase my book, Body Neutral, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues, wherever you buy books, ebooks, or audiobooks. We can also connect on Instagram or TikTok. My handle is jessenealand. And because I make this uh, podcast available for free and without any sponsors or ads, you can also feel free to show your support using the Patreon link in the show notes and know that your support, if you decide to uh, participate, is always very much appreciated. Lastly, thank you to my brother, Jason Neeland, for creating the music that plays at the beginning of the show. And thank you for listening, learning, and moving toward personal and collective body liberation.